0: What's up Hyperfast Nation on this episode of the Hyperfast Wealth Show, I sat down with an amazing guest. We talked about how he started investing in residential real estate in college and then within 10 to 15 years had built up a portfolio that he was able to then leverage to get into multifamily and now self-storage. He's running big syndications to help other people make passive income from real estate while expanding his own portfolio, and now he teaches other people how to do that through his coaching program and book Next Level Income. Welcome to the show, Chris Larson. Welcome to the show today, Chris. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing great, man. Happy to be here.
0: Yeah, I'm excited. I know we've got a lot of great stuff to talk about, including your book, which I know has already helped a lot of people and hopefully will help even more after this show. Before we dive into the show, why don't you tell people a little about your background and how you got to where you are today?
1: Yeah, so uh, part of my background took me right right through your neighborhood up there in Northern Virginia, like we were talking about before the show, Dan, we lived right around the corner from each other, it's, which is such a small world. But uh, yeah, before I moved to Northern Virginia, my wife and I, we met at Virginia Tech, um, which is where I bought my first property when I was 21. And the reason I went to Virginia Tech is twofold. I was uh, going through an engineering program down there, but really, I just wanted to race my bike. And Blacksburg is a beautiful area to ride um and i thought it would be a good good place for me to kind of launch my professional cycling career as i went through college and going through that process um racing my bike between my freshman and sophomore years i talk about this in my book my my best friend my training partner uh my roommate uh chris Strader, he passed away at a, a massive brain hemorrhage um i raced another year and i finished out that that summer and i i was doing really well, better than i ever done. I was an all American cyclist that year in college. And I was winning a lot of the local like pro-am races. Um, but at the end of the season, I just wasn't, I wasn't happy. You know, I remember coming across a line and just, I was like, this is really not what I'm supposed to be doing anymore. I went back to school, I quit. And I didn't wanna be an engineering student. I, now I, you know, I was gonna be a professional cyclist. That wasn't something that was in the cards. Um, I didn't really have like a core group of friends because all my friends were on the cycling team that I wasn't a part of anymore. I didn't have a girlfriend, any of that. Um, So I went back to school, you know, back to classes and tried to rehab my GPA that had suffered the year before as I was just kind of riding my bike and trying to kind of escape probably what was was depression of losing my best friend. And I made this pledge to myself that I wouldn't let an opportunity pass me by. You know, whether that was, you know, uh, a cool experience, like going on a trip, you know, asking a girl out, uh, which is probably how I ended up meeting my wife, and uh, we're actually celebrating as we record this our 15th anniversary today. Um, so I'm very really grateful for that. Uh, but one of the other things that kind of went through my head, Dan, was that if you really wanted to take advantage of opportunities in life, you had to have financial independence. And racing your bike is not a way to achieve financial independence for. 99.999% of people, unless you're like one of the, the top. So I was always thinking about like, how can I be entrepreneurial and make money? And that's what I devoted all my energy and attention to that I had you know, devoted to cycling. So I started reading books and devouring information on the stock market. And if, if you think back, I was in college in the late 90s, stock market was on a tear, just like it is today. I was day trading. I was making like five grand a month that year by trading in the stock market as a junior in college, pretty good, Um, but it was super volatile. And I was laying in bed one night at 3 a.m. And that's when it dawned on me like, there's gotta be a better way. Like, I don't wanna be doing this in 20 years. And we're more than 20 years on. And I'm very grateful that I, as as I educated myself, I came upon real estate and I ended up buying a a property down there and another property and another and another and another um, as, as we moved around. And that's how I started in my real estate career. And long story short, I ended up transitioning that portfolio about a decade and a half later into commercial properties, which is what we focus on now, specifically in the multifamily and self-storage space.
0: Well, that's quite a background. I think one of the interesting things to highlight is the difference between cycling and real estate. And you you got at it a little but you know, there's probably... I'm guessing on on like two hands you can count the number of cyclists that that make a million bucks a year worldwide.
1: Yeah, it's that's um, that's a really good estimate.
0: And guys who are cracking six figures is probably not many more, you know. Nah. But 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 yet the guys right below that aren't that far off in talent, speed, times, one, right?
1: Like one percent. It's so yeah. so different. Yeah, so so small. But, but
0: right. then you compare that to real estate, where it's like yeah, there's some guys, billionaires in real estate, right? But it but it doesn't, Yeah, you, know, you, you can be a lot worse in real estate and still making yeah. a lot of money, right?
1: <laughs> Absolutely. No, it's, you know, it, it, that is one of the things and I think this is common in most sports. It's like, you know, it's the 1% of the 1%. If you look at the Screen Actors Guild, it's the same thing. Like I, I, the this, 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 this statistic is is so, so small of those people that are recognizable. I think the average in the Screen Actors Guild of earnings is like $30,000 a year. It's, and I'm, I may be off by, you know, 20 grand or something like that. But my point is, you think actor, oh, they're making all this money. Um, Professional athlete, you know, your average cyclist, professional cyclist in the United States probably makes like 30 or 40 grand a year about what your average actor does. Um, Not a, not a really lucrative career. You have to do it for the love of the sport, which is what I was doing it for, for sure.
0: Well, how did, how did you do your first real estate deal? How did, how did that come about? What was it like? Yeah. Were you nervous, scared, or, or just kind of ready to jump all in?
1: You know, it's funny. Like I still remember like the feeling of signing papers, you know, and as like the checks got bigger and bigger and like the zero would go on. So I love my first deal. Cause it's, it's like what some people pay for cars today. It was $90,000. And I'd used, um, you know, the loan I used back then I was able to put just a, just a few percent down. I put three, less than $3,000 down on this $90,000 townhouse. And today we call it a house hack. So it was three bedrooms. I rented two of the bedrooms out and I was basically living rent-free. Um, and the way I got that done, I had, I had enough money in the bank to get that done. Um, but my mom co-signed on the loan with me. I ended up buying her out uh, a few years later. Um, but it was, it was super simple. It was just, you know, a kid with his mom, co-sign on loan with him with a few thousand dollars, and then uh, renting, renting a couple rooms out to a couple friends in college.
0: Hey, hold that thought for a minute. Do you have a client that needs to buy or sell a home in the DMV area? Then why not trust the highest selling team in the DMV, the Carrie Scholl team? We've helped thousands of buyers and sellers and would love to help your clients. And we guarantee we will save them time, money and stress throughout the process, and they will be so grateful that you referred them to us. Go to kerryshull.com to learn more. Again, that's kerryshull.com to learn more about sending us your clients that need to buy or sell a home in the DMV area. That's kerryshull.com. Gotcha, I was curious on how how you got from the first deal you did to the, you know, right before you switched everything to commercial.
1: Yeah, so it took me, too long, in my opinion, this is what I tell people. And, and really the impetus why I wrote my book, which is, you know, helping people shortcut the path that I took. So my book, my book is really my story about where I started my thought process of of moving from single family. So I bought that first property. It's funny, I was just telling my son, my 11 year old son, this story this morning, because he was asking me about it. I ended up buying the townhouse next door, I was talking to the owner, and he was moving. Um, This was a year or two after um, I had moved in. And I bought that townhouse from him. So now I had two, three unit townhouses. So it was kind of like a little six unit apartment, if you will, mm. and I had, now I got to rent out five of the six units and I lived in one. And then I ended up buying another one in Richmond, which is where my um, my, my now wife was living at the time, and then moved to Northern Virginia and bought more properties up there. And then, so I, I bought this portfolio of properties and it was really simple. I thought, okay, I, I need to buy enough properties so after expenses i could net $10,000 now that's before debt service so here's my thought process if i could buy enough properties that net net profit was $10,000 and then i could pay off the debt over 10 15 years then i'd have five figures a month coming in 10,000 plus a month coming in and I was like, that's enough to be financially independent. So the second step in the process was, I need to go find a job so I can make more money, buy more properties, and then ultimately pay them off, which is what what led me into the medical device industry where I spent you know, 18 years of my life uh, doing that. Um, so along the way I spent, let's see, I bought my last property in 2005. So the numbers didn't start to make sense. You know, things were getting crazy. Um, and I actually started to list the properties right at the end of, I think it was, was it 08 the crash
0: started or 07? Um, yeah, it kind of depends on the area. Yeah. Like a, it was oh seven. I think, I think in yeah. Clarendon where condos, yeah. like those, those peaked a little early, they didn't fall yep. quite as much though as the rest yeah. of the
1: country. Yeah. Um, So I I listed my first property 2007, early 2008. And I just remember the prices going down 10%, like the first month my property was on the market. And I was like, people would say I timed the market like horribly, but you could say I timed it perfectly. If I could have sold everything on on time, (laughs) I literally top ticked the market. Like I listed my property and it, as soon as I listed it, Prices started going down, so I totally missed the market. Um, I was fortunate that we were still cash flowing positive, um, but I held those I held those properties. So, um, bought my first property in '99. So now we're ten years out. So I held those properties for about another five years, and that's where you know, we we're coming on. You know, 2011, 12, and my mother had passed away at this point, and I started going through this process of reevaluation. And now I had all this equity built up in these properties. So you know, like that, say ten thousand dollars down. On a, on a smaller property had grown to like $100,000. And you know you think if you have $10,000, you got $3,000 a year coming in, it's pretty good. That's a 30% return. Well, if now you have six grand a month coming in or a year coming in, excuse me, but you have $100,000 of equity, that's only 6%. And then you know, if you're making good money, you're paying tax on that. So it, it wasn't a good deal. I was managing them myself. Um, so as I looked around, I was at a meeting with my wife and I was talking to a gentleman and just kind of lamenting, you know, dealing with my own properties. He goes, "Oh, you should talk to my friend. They they uh, syndicate apartments." And I'm like, "That's yeah, kind of the same thing, you know." He's like, "No, no, no. They they run everything, so you can be passive." Because I was working eighty hours, sometimes more a week, um, being on call in the med device space. So I called his friend, and we start talking about the fundamentals, the demographics behind multifamily. I'm like, "This is very familiar. Demographics and the baby boomer trends." the reason I went into the medical device industry. So I said, I said, man, this is like, this, this sounds exactly like the thought process I went to. So I did some research, spent about 12 months, spent about a year going through the process, looking at different syndicators and operators, made our first investment. Um, I think it was like at the end of 2013, may, may have been officially 2014, when we made our first funding of an apartment deal. And that's how we started was, was um, as investors in those deals and by 2015, had sold all of our properties and all that equity that we had in single family properties was now in commercial deals, um, mostly, mostly multifamily. And then uh, over the next couple of years, um, decided to go into actually syndicating and officially partnering on these deals.
0: Hey, that's a great thought, but let me get to this question that I just got from one of my followers uh, right to my phone. Uh, by the way, did you know you can text me at 703-215-1684. This is a new thing I've rolled out. I'm letting my listeners and uh, people that subscribe and follow me on social media, connect with me directly to my phone on text message. It's me answering them and and responding. You can ask me anything about real estate, investing, business, whatever. Just text 703-215-1684. And I will respond to you. I, I love, I love how you, uh, you know, you started fairly small and and grew from, you know, buying properties three thousand dollars down, ten thousand dollars down, uh, getting all this equity, and then now, uh, bigger, bigger commercial deals. Uh, what did you like better about the commercial side, multifamily now st- st- storage as well? What what did you, what do you like better about that? Is it just the deal size of the returns better? Is it more scalable? Is it, you know, more time for, for, for you to do, you know, fun things or all of these or, or, uh,
1: yes, yes, (laughs) yes, yes. And yes. (laughs) So, um, and so if you're listening and you're a professional, right. And you, you own properties, it's like, you know you, you know the headaches of dealing with managing properties and, and some people they they're cool with that they 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 like that they enjoy that um, for me working 60 80s 100 hours a week i didn't need that as extra stress and, and time to deal with those so i like the passive nature as an investor um, also as an investor and this is actually what i was discussing with my son this morning we are we were talking about condos versus apartments and I said, oh, that's, that's, those are condos. And he's like, well, what, how's that different? So I was explaining the structure. I said, Hey, Ethan, think about this. That's his name. Um, let's say there's a hundred units, a hundred condo units or a hundred apartments, and you go buy one condo and rent it out. He's like, okay. I said, maybe, it, maybe it costs you 50,000 or hundred thousand dollars to buy that condo. If you rent that out and you have say $500 a month coming in, that's, that's pretty good. And he's like, yeah, okay. Okay. I said, now let's say that person moves out and they stop paying rent. How much money do you have come in? He said, zero. I said, then do you still have to pay your expenses? He said, yeah. I said, now what if I got 99 more people together and we bought the entire building, but now it was an apartment building? He's like, okay. I said, there's a couple things that are better. One, you can hire people to manage it for you. So you don't have to self manage it because it's, you know, you can spread that expense across the 100 units. Two, if one person moves out, you don't have 100% vacancy, you have 1% vacancy, right? And three, and this is one thing I love, is a, is a finance, getting my MBA in finance, you learn about how to value businesses and stocks. An apartment building and income producing commercial property is actually valued like a business, Dan. You probably know this, but you know if you're listening, you don't. This is like when the light bulb went off in my head. And it's one of the things when you have the income of a property determining the value of the property and you can actually change the income you can force the appreciation upward so i like the scalability i like the ability to have a better quality of life if you're an investor in these properties and i like the control that you have when it comes to the actual value of these properties and by the way there's also some better tax benefits that come along if you're a high income earner
0: well actually i was i was going to ask about that when you did you did you take advantage of that to cuz i'm sure when you uh, got out of those residential properties. You had a lot of, a lot of gains on, you know, realized. So what did you did you have a method or way to reduce your taxes when you when you when you made that transition?
1: Yeah. So um, one of the things I work with on my co- with my coaching clients, especially W two earners, there's a lot of tax strategies out there that aren't well known by your average layperson, because your average CPA, they just, you know, you get your receipts at the end of the year, they do your taxes, they send them in. They're not a real tax strategist. So there's some tax strategies that you can, you can work through. Um, and if you're interested in those, you can reach out to me. Um, I'll give all my contact information, but when it comes to like, so yes, I did, I did a bunch of different things from a tax planning perspective, but when you invest in a syndication, especially an apartment building, there's a ton of depreciation. So when you, when you buy a house, let's say it's a, uh, a $300,000 house, and the actual property um, is valued, the land is valued at $25,000. So the structure itself is $275,000. The IRS, the tax code says you can depreciate that on a straight line basis over 27 and a half years. So $275,000 house depreciated over 27 and a half years, that's $10,000 a year. It's pretty nice, right? You can make up to $10,000 of income and offset that with the depreciation, not pay tax. That's nice. With apartments, because you have so much more depreciable um, property inside of it, like washing machines, dryers, um, dishwashers, appliances, even the landscaping, for instance, you can appreciate that at a faster rate and you can do what's called a cost segregation analysis. And I I dig deeper in my book. So um, if you wanna get my book and and dig into this, we'll we'll tell you how to get it as well. I'll even uh, give your audience a free copy, Dan. Awesome. if they're listening today. But uh, a cost segregation analysis, really what it does, it allows you to take that depreciation and move it forward. It costs a little bit of money, which is why most people don't do it if they have a single property. But if again, you spread that expense over 100 to 300 units, it makes a lot more sense. So getting all that depreciation and being able to use some of that in my situation, um, it was very advantageous.
0: Yeah. And uh, did, was your first deal something you, you partnered with other people? And, and if so, did you, did you kind of all go in as partners, like pass the hat? Or did you have a structure where you were like the general partner and you had limited partner investors? Or, or how, did, how did you structure that first deal?
1: Yeah. So, um, and this, this is a great point. So whatever you're looking to do in life, I think it always pays a dividend to go find a mentor, a coach, somebody that can help you along the way. So my first partner and I, we got together and we, we had been investing. I had introduced him to uh, the multifamily space and he had actually been able to leave his W2 job. And he said, hey, Chris, I want you to partner with me. I'm gonna go buy an apartment building. Okay, I'm like, hey, if these guys that we invested with had less experience than we do in real estate, then we can probably do this so what we did was we actually partnered with that group we invested with so we went we we found a group of investors you know started making phone calls it took us about a year from start to finish to raise the funds and ultimately close on that first deal but the most important piece of that story dan is that we went and we did partner with the original group we invested with that gave us mentorship they gave us training coaching Documents, connections. They even found the first deal. So it was, I mean, it was invaluable to get that leadership, that partnership, and that education along the way. Even though we had to give up a piece of the profits to do that, it really helped us limit the downside risk and also give the investors that were coming in the confidence because they said, "Okay, like, who's the team on this? You know, you guys have never bought in an apartment building. Why should we trust you?" And it's like, well. Part of our team over here has done it 10, 15 times and here's their track record of success. So again, that was really the key to getting that first deal done.
0: Yeah, that, that definitely helps to have have people like that, like you said, for your learning and, and just to get confidence from investors. Uh, fast forward to today, uh, I think you've, you've added self-storage or at some point along the way you did, you mentioned that. How do, how do you structure your deals today? You know, from from finding them to, to getting the investors.
1: Yeah. And you know what, I realized I didn't, I didn't fully answer your question last time. So, um, so I'll talk through that, but we do, we do, we have a GPLP part structure. So what we do is again, if you're listening, if if you know what a syndication is, then I'm going to be a little repetitive here for you. Um, But we go and we syndicate a deal, which is really not too much different Dan than right. If you and I partnered together and we bought a duplex and, we went, we pulled our money and we bought, bought a duplex together and, and shared the risk between the two of us. It's, it's really not that much different than if we go out and we take hundred investors and bring them together and go buy an entire, entire apartment uh, community and do that. Uh, the difference is the structure is a little bit more complex. Um, you get nice 150 page document that you get to read through as an investor <laughs> to illustrate how complex it is. Um, but the general partners um, that go find the deal uh, my partners and I, we find the deal, we oversee the deal, we operate the deal. Um, and then the, the LP, the limited partners that come in, they invest their money, they invest their capital, but they don't have to make all the decisions. They don't have to run the deal. They're passive investors in it. Um, so we structure it uh, in that structure. It's, it's a little different from deal to deal. Um, but the way it works is we pay the investors first. And by the way, we typically invest five to 10% of our own money in the form of uh, the total capital raise. We're investing in every deal alongside our investors. Um, And if the deal performs as planned, the investors get paid, and the GPs are the last to get paid. So if you're a business owner, you get this concept, right? A business owner, you pay all your employees, you pay all your expenses, and then you pay yourself last. So it's very similar to that. It's a performance-based agreement. Um, And yes, we we still do a ton of multifamily. We have a deal right now in Charleston, South Carolina. Um, We actually closed the deal this week in Charleston as well. So this is our second acquisition in that market. Uh, We also launched a self-storage fund this year. And if you're interested in learning more about these deals, um, I won't go into specifics and and bore everybody today, but on my website, nextlevelincome.com, there's an invest link and you can click on that and you can learn more about how to get access to those deals. But a lot of the fundamentals that I talked about, about why I got into multifamily, they're still there, we have such a housing shortage today, which is why the market's so crazy. All these millennials, even Gen Z coming into the market, baby boomers retiring. Um, it's just, it's incredible. Uh, yeah, it was like two, the, 2
0: million houses last year or so, uh, short that we needed built yeah, that didn't, to meet the demand, yeah. so a big shortage. Yeah,
1: yeah I mean, and, and same thing on the apartment side. And you know, I think the, the thing that also gets lost, even if you can build enough units quickly enough, you know, when it comes to apartments, if, if you build an apartment and you spend $200,000 to build that one apartment, you're probably not going to rent that for six, 800, even a thousand dollars. You're probably going to rent it for like $1,500 a month or in the DC market, you know, two or $3,000 a month because of the costs associated with that. And my point is not everyone can afford these luxury apartments at the top end. So it takes a while for that supply to filter down through the system and actually support the demand of most of the people in there. And those, the same trends, you know, people moving, people uh, working at home or moving to new areas with a a better quality of life, or think about this, people that move into a house that maybe it's not as big as they wanted, or moving to a new market and they don't have as much space as they wanted. um, Those people need a place to store their stuff or baby boomers that are downsizing. They need a place to store their stuff. You know, people that are spending more time outside with COVID and they have more toys, you know, they have boats and they have um, four-wheelers. And, you know, like my family, we, we have a bunch of bikes. I, you know, i bikes for a lot of years. You, know, you need a place to store your stuff. And when I didn't have a garage, we had a storage unit. And it's it, those same demands end up supporting the self-storage uh, space as well, which is also going through a shortage.
0: What, what do you like better or, or not better about storage versus multifamily?
1: Um, let's also talk about which one of my sons I like better. So I'm just <laughs> kidding. <laughs> so it's again, it's they're they're different asset classes, and we we invest in multifamily, we invest in self storage, we invest in mobile homes, we do commercial office. Um, I like all of them for different reasons, and I, and depending on the market as well. So I think mobile homes are a great play when it comes to you know, an affordable housing. Uh, supply situation that also gives you really nice risk-adjusted returns when the market turns down because they're just very uh, stable even even in downturns with respect to mobile homes. Um, so I I'll, I'll tell you that most of our investments in the commercial space are in multifamily. Um, that's where that's where the big big part is. But self storage it's nice for some reasons. So for instance, if if I say hey I'm going to raise your rent $200 next year Dan, you might say, well, I'll move across the street or I'll move down the street. That's worth it because that's 200 bucks a month, 2500 $2, 24 2500 bucks a year. But if I say hey I'm going to raise your rent, you know, 10 bucks a month at your self storage facility, are you going to move it across the street or down the street? Mm-hmm it's maybe you don't even notice it because it's auto-charged on your credit card. You've, you missed the email, you know, it's like, eh, is it, it's going to cost you a hundred bucks. It's a a pain compared to the benefit. (laughs) Exactly. So, you know, you can get, you can get similar increases in a percentage basis and self-storage with people not noticing as much. So, you know, at different times, they support one another. Um, Again, I think having, having both very strong asset classes that are cash flow positive, that have upside, um, are very nice. Uh, they have slightly different um, advantages and disadvantages, but you know they're again. I, I go to the demographics, and they're both supported by very similar demographic trends.
0: Awesome. Well, this uh, this show has been great. I've I've had fun time uh, hearing your story, hearing you know how you jumped into residential so early, and then now have made the, the switch to doing big syndications and commercial. So that's that's exciting to see, inspirational for others as well. I always like to end up or uh, in the show with a hyper fast round if you're ready for some rapid fire questions and answers.
1: Bring it on, I'll answer as quickly as I can.
0: All right, what's your best uh, or biggest piece of advice to a new investor?
1: Yeah, I think we touched on it and that is find someone that has emulated the success that you want, that's already achieved what you want to achieve and then see if see if you can have a conversation with that person see if you can use them as a mentor, hire them as a coach, because if they can help you shortcut the path to success, that is going to save you not only money, but it's also going to save
0: you what you can't buy back. And that's time. Good one. Uh, What's the biggest mistake you see experienced successful investors make?
1: Yeah, I think people look at the deal first. And I always tell investors, like, first off, look at the strategy, look at the fundamentals of that strategy, look at the geography, you know, look at the operators. So if you're investing in a syndication, you want to look at the operator and bet the operator, you, know, you want to be with a well-established team, you know, versus like, you know, one man operation. Um, there's a lot of risk, you know, if you, if you don't know an individual versus, you know, uh, if you know a group and see a track record of success, and then you look at the deal, and then you look at the numbers. It's it's super easy to make numbers look good and, and move them around. And you know, if you're if you're an inexperienced investor, you could look at something and be like, wow, these returns look fantastic. Well, you know, we can make the returns look as good as we want. If you, if you don't trust the operator and you don't understand, you know, what really makes that different, um, you know, that can get you in trouble. So start with the fundamentals, then work your way down to the deal. Don't look at the deal first.
0: What was the biggest challenge you've ever had in business, and how did you overcome it, or what did you learn from it?
1: Yeah, so interestingly enough, I was exiting in the past year here the medical device space, and you know, I I go to, I'm sitting there with my accountant over a year ago, and he's like, Chris, you're good. Like your cash flow from your passive real estate investments is good. Um, you know, you have plenty of money in the bank. Like everything looks good, and I just I, I just couldn't bring myself to like leave. And I, I struggled with it probably for about six months, Dan. And what I realized was, you know, I'd, I'd worked so hard for 20 years to get to this point in my life. And I really didn't think about like that next step. So maybe like the the dog that catches the car, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking like, I, I can leave. But after months of kind of thinking and working with my coach and, you know, even meditating on it, what I realized was I, I craved, like significance. I wanted to be relevant. I wanted to get up and I wanted to have a purpose every day. And deep down, I think it really made me scared to think that I might wake up the next day and not have anybody call me and not have, you know, not have anything to do even. Um, And that's, that's why I started my coaching business. So, you know, whatever it is you're doing, I think that the thing that I learned is you need to always have a bigger, more exciting future that's really bigger than you, that has a bigger meaning than you. And I was fortunate enough that i you know, I got to a point where I had to kind of deliberate on that and figure that out. But in the past year, that was that was something um, that was a real mental challenge for me. Even though you know, you maybe listen, and think, man, I'd love to have that problem. Um, it was something that was really interesting to work through.
0: If you could start over, or, or if you had to start over, I should say. And you couldn't bring your money, you couldn't bring your connections, all you could bring is your knowledge and experience, what's the first thing you would do?
1: Wow. Um, I would probably start a podcast like you. And, <laughs> and just start because then you can make those connections back. You can, you know, start to grow that. And that's what I've learned over the past few years of having our podcast, The Next Level Income Show. It's, it's a tremendous networking opportunity. You can literally build a build a business around it if you wanted to. That wasn't our goal. Um, but the thing is when you go out and like you, Dan, you, are, you have this mission to go and you give and you help people. What happens is people are more willing to give back to you and you make those connections and do that. And the second guest on our show, Richard Wilson, said, give away 80%, like give away 80%, the 80-20 rule. Um, then you can charge for the other 20%. And I would, if I, if I had to go back and start, I would have just started, you know, giving more sooner.
0: All right. Last question. Where do you see yourself 10 years from now?
1: Yeah. Well, I think my boys should be out of the house. theoretically. <laughs> <laughs> They'll both be over 18. Um, my youngest is nine. So, uh, we'll be at another turning point in our lives. My wife and I, um, we'll hopefully be celebrating our 25th anniversary with a, with a lovely lunch, like we did today again. Um, and, but really, I, I hope that I'm able to 10 X the amount of people that I'm able to touch over the next 10 years. Um, and, you know, continue to, to speak with great people like yourself and continue to provide education out there. Um, but it's, uh, it's been, it's been a real pleasure to be able to help people and, you know, just, just trying to expand that, that vision, um, even bigger than I have right now.
0: All right. Well, this has been amazing. Before we wrap up, if people want to learn more about your coaching, investing with you, your book, or, or just connecting with you, uh, what are the best ways for them to do that?
1: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I almost forgot to give the link. So nextlevelincome.com. You click on the book link, you can put in your email, get a free download. You can even put your address in, and I'll send you a free copy of the book. Uh and we have the invest link up there as well. We're going to be launching a coaching course in 2022. If you're interested in getting a sneak peek at what we have coming, you can email me coach at nextlevelincome.com.
0: All right. We'll check out next, Le- ah, next level income. Did I get that right? Next next Perfect. And uh, check out the book or investing with Chris. Thank you again, Chris. This was an amazing show to all of our listeners and viewers out there. Thank you so much. And if you got value out of this, which you should have, please share it with someone else you think that would have. And uh, we will see you next time.
1: Thank you, Dan. Appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Hyper Fat Show. Subscribe to us if you want to make sure you get the latest and greatest Hyper
0: Fat Shows. And remember, we love reviews. Reviews help us bring better and better guests, improve our shows, and give us the good, the bad, and the ugly. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we will see you next time.